This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken, in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. For more resources like this, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. Our message tonight is entitled, The Stress Equation. The Stress Equation. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. I ask, Father God, that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard tonight. Instead, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. As our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. amen. So this was the talk I was gonna do on Sunday, so I flip-flopped tonight with Sunday. Um, but. I'm not sure. I don't think it'll make a, a big difference. So uh, just follow me. We're going to go to the book of 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. 2 Kings chapter six finds us in a part, a time in the Bible where the nation of Israel is at war. Syria and the Assyrians are coming across the border and they are doing what uh, border skirmishes with Israel. This is the time when um, Naaman's uh, maiden, the little girl who tells uh, Naaman about uh, the prophet in Israel who could heal him of his leprosy. There are many who believe that she was snatched in one of these uh, cross-border skirmishes and they took her back to serve an, uh, an Assyrian leader and she wound up with Naaman. So this is that time in the Bible's history. But the king of Syria, as he's warring, he had uh, took counsel with his servants who, who aren't servants like you think of them. These are probably more like generals or leaders um, and he's setting up camps and he's trying to trap the people of God. One thing that is good to remember about the Old Testament is that every battle is not simply a battle between nations. Every battle is a battle between gods. And so uh, as I talk through the week, you'll see that every time there's a fight, there's more at stake than the battles of, of many of our modern uh, battles uh, nowadays. These are battles over which God is a superior God, which God is the, is, the, is the right and true God. And so when Nebuchadnezzar is bold enough to ask the three Hebrew boys, um, who is this God that shall deliver you uh, from out of my hand? He asks that question because Nebuchadnezzar believes that his God in conquering Judah, taking the king and taking the princes captive is already a greater God. So these battles are, 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 are big in a spiritual sense, a spiritual warfare. And once you understand that the Bible stories about these battles are more than simply military skirmishes, you begin to be able to better apply the principles from the battles to your life today. The king says, look, in such and such a place shall be my camp. Verse 9, and the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. So the king of Syria says, look, we're going to set up camp over on this side of town. We're going we're gonna to wait for them and we're going to ambush them. The prophet calls in and says, hey, king, God has sent me a vision. Don't go that way. I want you to take a different route and go around. Now, he would do this, and in verse 10, it says, and the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of. And the Bible says that these warnings from the prophet 
saved himself there not once or twice. Principle, God gives prophets to give warnings to save us. To save us from what? The traps of the enemy. So in the modern times, oh, don't miss this. In the modern time, God gave a prophet. And the words and the writings of the prophet, if heeded in the right context, will warn you we're not to pass through. It's unfortunate that so many are giving up on the prophet. Verse 11 says that therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? The king of Syria says, all right, this is enough. Somebody in our camp is a double agent. As they say on the streets of Los Angeles, somebody's a snitch. And in the hood, they say snitches get stitches. So it says somebody is a snitch and we've got to find who the snitch is. So he says, all right, which one of us is actually for them? Because that's the only way the finite mind that bases its intellect and its intel on the flesh could understand what's happening. But one of his servants in verse 12, the Bible says, and one of his servants said, none of us, my Lord, O king, but Elisha. Ah, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. Oh, mercy, somebody. The Bible says that, that this prophet was so powerfully connected to God that when the king is in the bathroom, while he's in there scrubbing his back with his loofah, while he's, while, he's, while, he's, while he's taking his time and, and shaving in the morning, while he's in there humming whatever songs the Syrians hummed, the prophet was being warned of his ideas and his thoughts in advance. In other words, the king's servant is saying, when God is on their side, you have no privacy. He said, listen, man, he knows what you're saying in your bedchamber. And verse 13, and he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Now, I like this story. This story tells you just how crazy folk get when they try and fight God. When you try and come against God, you get foolish. If he knows what you think in your bedchamber, can you sneak up on him? Come on, somebody, you can't sneak up on him if he knows what you're thinking in advance. But he says, go spy on him and fetch him. Now, what's interesting, if you really look at the story is, if he's this much of a weapon, wouldn't you want to kill him? Wouldn't you want to take him off the set? But he doesn't because the king of Syria, if you study ancient history, is also at war with the Babylonians. He's trying to get a leg up on the Babylonians. He does not see Elisha as a threat as much as he sees Elisha as a weapon. He doesn't want to kill Elisha. He wants to capture Elisha. He wants Elisha on his side. And you know, it's funny when you look at our health message, it's funny how much the world now is listening to our prophet. I went into a restaurant in Atlanta called the Soul Vegetarian Restaurant run by a, a black nationalist organization called the Hebrew Israelites. 
And when I went and they sell soul food, which is black American food, it's, it's, actually a, it's actually our derivative of African food mixed in with the process of being slaves in the United States. So it's, it's really good comfort food. That's the best way to say it. Um, and, and, and so they made really good uh, vegan food out of it, plant-based. And I was in Atlanta and I went there and I wandered into their bookstore. And would you believe that in their bookstore was Ministry of Healing? Councils on diets and foods. Funny, they want our, they, they want the profit we're trying to get rid of. Verse 14, therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. Now, again, he knows what you're thinking in your bedchamber. So you come at night to sneak up on him. You see, you have to come at night. And you have to understand, the Syrians had a, a, an amazing armor. That's one of the things they were known for. It was a metallic armor that they polished till it shone brilliantly in the light. Almost like wearing mirrors. So when they would go into battle and the sun hit them the right way, it could literally blind the enemy. And it was very overwhelming when thousands of these guys are marching on you and they light up in the daylight. So they would be seen from a long ways away. They had to come at night so that there was no sun, so their armor wouldn't give them away. The Bible says something else that's really important. They came with horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night, and they, they encompassed the city. Why? They wanted Elisha to have what? No way of escape. Now remember, he knows what you're thinking in your bedchamber, king. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. Now, Elisha's servant gets up in the morning to go out and probably to, to boil a pot of water to make some tea. And, and as he's going out about his way, he looks up. And as he looks at the hills all around the city, the sun is coming up and the sunlight is hitting the armor. The whole city is lit up with soldiers. And this guy panics. He goes back into the tent, the Bible says, and he asks Elijah, alas, my master, how shall we do? There's two of us and there's an army of them. And I'm sure Elisha's servant is thinking, and I'm sure they figured out by now, brother, that you are the one giving away the positions. They're coming for us. And there's nothing we can do. He panics in the moment. Don't miss this. And his stress levels rise. His stress levels shoot up. We're going to talk about stress for a second. Because the Christian in our era, and we talk about a health message a lot, and people say, well, why was this person eating the right meat, right stuff, but still died? Because if you stressed out, it will kill you. I don't care what you eat. You can't eat your way out of stressing yourself to death. This is why one of the fundamental parts of the health message is trust in God. Oh, y'all missing this thing. So when they talk about the Adventist health study, one of the things they miss, and uh, we'll talk more about the Adventist health study as the time goes on, and this, this study that uh, documents Loma Linda as a blue zone in North America, which is unheard of that there could be a blue zone in unhealthy North America. But the reason it is, isn't simply because Adventists eat different. It's because Adventists believe different. Yeah. 
And no one wants to talk about the faith factor in our longevity. They don't want to talk about the fact that the seven-day Sabbath is an anti-stress uh, medication like none other. If you keep the Sabbath. If you're not still picking up your dry cleaners at 9 o'clock on Friday after evening. If, if you really prepare and keep the Sabbath, it will bring your stress levels way down. So let's get into stress for a second. The definition. Stress is a condition or feeling experienced when a person perceives that demands exceed the personal and social resources the individual is able to mobilize. I'm going to read this again. Somebody needs this. Stress is a condition or feeling experienced when a person perceives that the demands exceed the personal and social resources the individual is able to mobilize. That's stress. So I break it down into an equation that I tell people in the States that they should write down on, a, on an index card and stick on their cubicle at work. And that is a, an equation. The stress equation says that stress equals demands minus resources. Stress equals the demands on your life minus the resources you are able to gather to deal with those demands. Right? So why is it that really rich people live longer? They've got a lot of resources, right? If they get in trouble with the law, they can hire, I mean, at least I don't know how it works down here, but in the United States, if you've got enough money, you can fight and walk away with a lot of, you can get away with a whole lot of stuff. If you're poor, you cop a plea. You don't even get to a jury in the United States. The resources you have will help you to lower your stress or the lack of resources will raise your stress. Now, we do also have some input in how much demand we place on our lives. If your intent, you know, and I, I hear the, some of the young docs, doctors that I work with, and, and they want to buy these fancy cars. This one guy just finished residency and went and bought a $125,000, U.S. dollars, $1,000 Mercedes-Benz truck, when he still had $400,000 in student loan debt. The man can't, he's always looking for extra shifts. He always wants to work. Demand, he added demand to his life, right? So his stress levels are up. But here's what the spirit of prophecy says. In, in the book, uh, Prophets and Kings, page 257, she says, when the people of God are brought into straight places and apparently there is no escape for them, the Lord alone must be what? Their dependence. I'm here to submit to you that there, although we can heap demand upon ourselves, God sometimes allows the demand. Oh, y'all missing this thing. Sometimes God allows the trial. He allows the difficulty because God knows that for some of us, unless we face difficulty and trial, our knees would never meet our carpet. So God allows it because in allowing it, we become more dependent on him. Amen. So I know folk that left the church don't want nothing to do with God and their kid gets sick. Oh, my word. They are back in church in a flash. They won't miss a meeting. Praying for the Lord to take away the illness from off of their child. God sometimes allows it. I like how Elisha answers his servant. In 2 Kings 6 and verse 16, he says, And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are what? 
are more than they will be with them. Now, if you you got to put so when you read the scriptures, what you got to do sometimes you got to put yourself in the you got to actually put yourself in the story first of all. So I like when I read the stories of Jesus, I stand in the crowd. And I just watch the story from the crowd and I imagine the woman being drugged in the middle and thrown down and the stones in the hand. You get what I'm saying? I, I, I try to get into the story. So in this story, I, I like I want to be the servant for a second because the servant is the one in this one that's perplexed. He's he's the one trying to figure this whole equation out. And the servant is looking around and he's saying, wait a minute now. Elisha is saying that I should have no fear because there's more of us. Than there are of them. I'm sure the servant looked over his shoulder. I'm sure the servant peeked his head back into the tent. I'm sure the servant walked around the back of the tent looking for anybody else. And he kept counting one, two. One, two. Countless. One, two. And I'm sure he's standing there scratching his head, rubbing his head. I'm sure he's trying to figure this thing out. And as Elisha, watches his servant perplexed when he ought to be trusting, confused when he ought to be convinced, stressed when he ought to feel secure. Elisha says to his servant, Lord, I pray thee, open this boy's eyes because he can't see good that he may see, and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and I like this, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, again, you, you, sometimes we read the Bible too fast. Slow down, you know what I say, slow down and eat, slow down and read your Bible. Chew on it, chew on the thing. Now, I want you to see this again. Elisha stops as they're about to be seized by the enemy. And he prays. There's a lesson in that. When your enemy seems like he's got you, stop and pray. Number one. The second thing he prays is that this servant would be able to see. Because clearly he can't see fully. The Bible says that then God opened his eyes. Now, what that means is God then tore down the veil between the physical world and the spiritual world. And in ripping back the veil, this servant now could see. That means some of us aren't fully seeing things. Because all we can ever see is the problem. Did you get that? All we can ever see is the trial. All we can ever see is the difficulty. I came all the way from Los Angeles to tell you, stop looking at the problem and start seeing what God wants to show you. The Bible says he saw. All the looking he did, he wasn't seeing everything. The Bible says he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. So we got to pause there. Now, remember, the Syrians have an armor that is polished metal that looks like mirror. It's so shiny. So they can only reflect light. Oh, y'all don't miss this thing. When God's army shows up, God's army is dressed in light. They're literally chariots and horses of fire. 
Let me tell you, the devil spooks you with an imitation of what God does. You're spooked. My family comes from a little island in the Caribbean called Jamaica. And there are a lot of, down and out on that island, there's, there's a practice. It, it, we don't call it, I know in Western Africa it's called voodoo, but in, in Jamaica they call it obia. And these are people who will use the dark secrets, dark magic, as it were, to try and spook you. My grandmother was, 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 was uh, converted to Adventism with her mother back in the early 1900s. And she was a, <laughs> my grandmother was a woman of God. I said, and I can look at some of you women in here and I know you were, you have, you're cut from the same cloth as my grandmother. And my grandmother tells us the story that when, when these Obia women would come again, they could not stand her because she was a seven-day Adventist Christian. And they would, some nights, they would sing and do all kinds of stuff to try and put a spell or cast a curse on my grandmother and her children. And my mother and my aunt tell the story of how one night when they were doing this and they could hear them beating their drums or whatever they were doing a little off in the distance near the house. And my grandmother got all of her seven children on their knees and they began to pray. And she says that then they could hear a horse running around the house. But when you looked out the window, my mama said, there was no horse to be seen. You just heard it running. She said, after a while, you could hear the horse running above the house. And the kids were praying. And my grandmother was praying. My, my grandfather was a truck driver in Jamaica, so he was never around. He wasn't around that much. After a while, the whole thing stopped and everyone went to bed. The next day, my grandmother's out hanging clothes on the line. And one of these women come over to my grandmother and say, Mrs., what kind of magic you work in? One of the women said, wait a minute now, you had about 12 of us all night long trying to put spells on you and everything we tried to put on you came back on us. Let me, let me, let me show you something out of the text. When the armies of the Syrians came, they surrounded the city. Notice the way the Bible words this thing. But when the army of God comes for Elisha, the army of God does not surround the city. The army of God surrounds Elisha. You know why? Because God is specific in his protection of his children. Did you know he dispatches an angel especially for you? And sometimes we get into such a mess, he lets go a few angels on our behalf. And somebody said, just a few angels? Don't you remember from the scripture that Hezekiah prayed and in one night, one angel killed 180,000 of the Assyrians? One angel. And you've got one by your side. Let me ask you a tough question. What are you so worried about? What are you so stressed over? Did you not know the God of the universe has dispatched an angel to stand by your side? Job 23 and verse 10 says it like this, but he knows the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall do what? Come forth as gold. Because stress equals demands minus resources. So what does the world do? The world offers you false resources. And one of the things that's, uh, one of the practices, one of the habits, one of the addictions that are going to, are exploding in North America, uh, specifically in states like California and Washington, 
uh, in other parts of the country that have legalized marijuana, more and more Americans are smoking marijuana than ever. And the marijuana of today, we'll talk more about that this week or in one of the, one of the segments we're going to film, but the marijuana of today in the North, North America has potency, some argue, up to six, 60 to 100 times stronger than the marijuana from the 1960s. The THC content is that much higher. It has been genetically engineered to be stronger and more potent, often laced with other chemicals and, 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 and other uh, uh, drugs. And more and more people are trying to smoke marijuana to escape life, to escape stress, destroying themselves. The studies show that if you start to smoke marijuana before the age of 18, you have an increased lifetime risk of psychotic illness. Those are diseases like schizophrenia. And let me tell you something. No drug can remove stress from you. All it might do is make you stupefied so that you don't remember you have it for a while. But I had one patient tell me once the worst part of the hangover was coming, waking up and realizing he still couldn't pay his bills. I challenge you. You see, I had a a patient when I did addiction medicine and the patient said, uh, there was a group meeting at the Veterans Hospital in Loma Linda, and they chanted at the end, and one of, the, one of them chanted, God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. God made the human heart so big, only he can fill it. And I asked him, I said, what does that mean? He said, you see, if you try and fill the God-sized hole in your heart with cocaine, you'll become a cocaine addict. You try and fill it with alcohol, you'll become an alcoholic. You try and fill it with marijuana, you become a pothead. You try and fill it with sex or gambling or or materialism. You'll become addicted to those things. He said the only way for you to ever truly know peace on this earth is to fill the God-sized hole in your heart with God. Because God gives the resources. Spirit of Prophecy says it like this. Take the word of Christ as your assurance. Has he not invited you to come unto him? Never allow yourself to talk in a hopeless, discouraged way. If you do, you will lose much. By looking at appearances and complaining when difficulties and pressure come, you give evidence of a sickly, enfeebled faith. Talk and act as if your faith was invincible. The Lord is rich in what? Stress equals demands minus what? Resource. God does not own a thousand cattle on a hill. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What are you so afraid of? What are you so worried about? What is it that God has for you to do in your life that you are holding back from like the servant asking around, how shall we do? Don't you know that God has everything you need to go forward and do it now? I believe that God's army was standing defending Elisha before the Assyrians ever got there. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I believe that God sent the answer to the problem before the problem ever showed up. Talk and act as if your faith was invincible. The Lord is rich in resources. He owns the world. Look heavenward in faith. Look to him who has light and power and efficiency. God does not ask us to do in our own strength the work before us. He has provided divine assistance for all the emergencies to which our human resources are unequal. He gives the Holy Spirit to help in every strait, 
to strengthen our hope and assurance, to illuminate our minds and purify our hearts. He gives the resource. Let me tell you something. Some of you are here tonight and you're going through some tough stuff. I have no idea what it is. But if you're going to be able to be shaken and know that you're not forsaken, you're going to have to remember that God sends chariots of fire. The devil has nothing for you. Only thing the devil banks on is that he can scare you out of trusting God when there's no reason to be afraid. Spirit of prophecy, the power of trials, the experience of men who walked with God in olden times agreed to teach that the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. The degree of blessing enjoyed by any man will correspond exactly with the completeness of God's victory over him. We might well pray for God to invade and conquer us, for until he does, we remain in peril from a thousand foes. We bear within us the seeds of our own disintegration. Deliverance can come to us only by the defeat of our old life. Safety and peace come only after we have been forced where? To our knees. Did you get that? Safety and peace comes when you've been forced to your knees. God rescues us by breaking us, by shattering our strength and wiping out our resistance. Then he invades our natures with that ancient and eternal life, which is the, from the beginning. So he conquers us. And by that benign conquest, saves us for himself. By that benign conquest, he saves us for himself. I had a patient once. It's a young lady who I was working at in a town called Widawi. I have a couple good stories from this town. It's a town in Alabama where I did my family medicine training, which is about 45 minutes south of Anniston. Um, Anniston, Alabama. Now, that's pretty far from, from Oakwood University, which is in the northern part of Alabama. And I was the first black doctor in the town, ever. A matter of fact, just a, a couple months before I got there, uh, they had, um, they had a, 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 a marches in the streets. And the Ku Klux Klan, I don't know if you guys know who they are. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they're back in America. But they had marched in this town. I, I'm not that old, so this wasn't that long ago. This is, uh, Dr. King was long gone before when, I, when this happened. And they marched in the town just a few weeks or months before I got there to be the first doctor at their hospital, first black doctor. Now, I had no idea. I was just trying to make an extra buck, trying to <laughs> pay some bills and, and do some stuff. But, you know, sometimes God sends you where he needs you. So, and the reason the Klan marched, I, I think the reason is interesting. The Klan marched because a, 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 a white boy had asked a girl who was half white and half black to go to the prom. And they marched over this, seemingly innocuous on, on our end, but they marched. They were upset. I didn't know. I had no idea. I was just trying to make a little money. I go to work at the hospital, and one night as I'm working, a woman, it was a 42-year-old woman comes in in full cardiac arrest, 
a white woman. Now, this woman had decided that night she was going to get in shape. Like, that night she was going to get into shape. <laughs> so she went to the gym. Now, she, she, was, she had a 20-year smoking history, 20-year-plus smoking history. And I don't know, and in Alabama, they, everybody eats soul food. Black, white, everybody eats soul food. So she had been eating chitlins and pork back and fried chicken and all the stuff they liked down there. And then she smoked, but she decided that night. That night, she was going to get in shape. So she went to the gym and got on the treadmill. And she began to run like she did when she was 15 years of age. She forgot to tell her, her heart what she was doing. So she gets on the machine and she just starts running. I mean, she, I mean you, she, you know, for the, about 20, 30 seconds there, she'd have made Usain Bolt proud. I mean, she was running. She was there with, with her guy. And, and, and she, after about two minutes of this running, begins to have crushing substernal chest pain. She gets lightheaded, nauseous, faint. She's having a massive myocardial infarction. She drops onto the treadmill and is thrown from the machine onto the floor unconscious. They call 911, an ambulance comes, picks her up, and this guy, her guy friend, jumps in the ambulance with her, and they take her to the hospital where I'm at. Now, I'm, I don't want anybody to die on my watch. I think you realize why, right? The Klan had marched and the first black doctor. I'm just saying, I'd rather everything go smoothly the first run through this hospital. So I'm there, and I'm really worried because she's really sick. In fact, uh, she, her, her, when we hook up to the machine, her EKG, sh sh her rhythm strip, it's not even a full, what we call tombstone signs, this giant SD segment elevations on the EKG. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm here by myself. The next big hospital is in Birmingham, which you have to take a helicopter to get to in any reasonable amount of time. So I call Birmingham, and I, I start to pray. Now, interesting part of the story is the rag tech, the guy who shoots the x-rays at the hospital, is a Sunday-believing Christian, a wonderful young man. This man studied the scriptures so much. I want you to get this. He began to keep the Sabbath on his own. Amen. The county where we were is what they call a dark county. I mean, there were no Adventist churches in the whole county. But this man studied his Bible. He kept going to church on Sunday, but on Friday at sunset, he would keep the Sabbath till Saturday at sun. I mean, he picked this up all on his own, just studying the word. So I said, listen, I need somebody to pray. I, I, I said, man, you need to pray. I, I need you to pray. So I sent him back into the radiology room, and I said, listen, while this is going on, so that you're not distracted, I need you praying. I called to, to Birmingham, and they said, give her TPA, which is a clot-busting medication. So it goes into the bloodstream, and wherever the blood is clotted and blocking off the artery, it will pop it open. But the danger is... If there's a clot holding an aneurysm in place so that it's not bleeding in the brain or if she'd ever had any terrible surgeries or anything, and that thing would bust all of the clots and she could bleed into her brain. So there's a risk. But I'm looking at her dying in front of me and I've got to take the risk. So I said, Lord, please. And you know, there's sometimes you just pray that prayer and say, Lord, I know I don't deserve exactly what I'm asking for. <laughs> but Lord, don't leave me out here on this one. <laughs> This is a limb I need to come back from. I need to get back from off of this limb. So, Father, if it is your will, I know you have the power. I know you have the resources. Deliver this woman. And sure enough, within the, the medicine is given, this woman goes flatline. Boop. 
I think I did too at the same time. <laughs> I just couldn't let anybody know. She went flatline. And I said, Lord, I literally, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, even if you got to pull a Lazarus right about now, Lord, I'm okay with it. I said, Lord, deliver this woman. Within 10 seconds, normal sinus rhythm. Normal, completely normal. By this time, we'd given her what we give in these situations, morphine, oxygen, nitroglycerin, and an aspirin. So I'd given her some morphine, and I said to the nurse, as she's still laying there, give her two more milligrams of morphine. Morphine, we don't give it to make you pain-free. It helps dilate the arteries. And I figured if we, we do that, and we'll get her to, to Birmingham, a helicopter's on her way, or whatever was coming to pick her up. It was a helicopter. And I said, okay, we're going to give it. This guy, the guy friend, who hasn't said much until this point, comes running into the room and says, do not give her any more morphine. This woman, who's been unconscious, hasn't said a word the whole time, sits up on the gurney, boop, and says, that man is not my husband. Give me the morphine. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He has resources. I was so worried and so afraid, and I didn't understand fully just how much resource the God of the universe has. I came all the way from the States to tell you, there's nothing that God has for you to do that he's not already supplied the resources for. Young person, if you need to go off to school, if God wants to train you to do something, to be a doctor, a, a preacher, a nurse, a lawyer, anything, he has the resources. And I challenge you tonight, when the enemy comes against you, write out that stress equation. Circle the word resources and begin to write Bible promises underneath that word. Because you serve the true and the living God. And he has all the resources. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. And to remember this stress equation, a stress equation that says that, Lord, you have all the resources. Father God, when the demands come against us, when our children go astray, when our marriages fail or seem as if they're going to fail, when our job, our finances are out of whack, when we, we know you're calling us to do something, but we don't necessarily see the way. Lord, when the demands hit us, let, our, let not our stress levels rise. Let us not go into a fight or flight mode. But instead, Father God, help us to trust you for the resources. Well, Father God, the time of great trouble is about to be upon us. And if we can't stand these small trials now, we won't know to use those resources when the big trials come. Prepare your people for that day, Lord. It's our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let the church say amen, amen. and amen. This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Amen Missions, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is a youth-led ministry seeking to inspire young people to be Bible-based, mission-focused, and Christ-centered Christians. 
Our aim is to assist in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world in this generation. For more resources like this, or to find out how to support this work, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. This recording was produced by the Preparation Ministry.